That's what happens in the Pork Chop Express. Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is some kind of magic? The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He made one move. Jack! And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. How are you going to spring us? I have no idea. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. <clears throat> My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Ah! Oh, God, is this really happening? This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. You may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Oh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's... Big trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes. Hell yeah! All right, you're watching Movie Night Extravaganza. I'm your host, Forrest Miller, and I'm here with my fine co-hosts, uh, J. Andrew World, the famed uh, comic book illustrator, or... So you know, it's slowly it's slowly coming together. It's all it's getting there. I think. <laughs> and uh, joining us tonight as another co-host from the Pork Chop Express is uh, Conan Neutron, who is the host of Protonic Reversal and uh, plays in the band Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. You are yeah. correct, sir. <laughs> and of course, Jeremy <laughs> Salmon from Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person, the podcast. How are you guys doing? Greetings, programs. <laughs> 
Fantastic. I mean, how can you not be stoked after seeing that trailer? What an exciting trailer that is. <laughs> yes. It doesn't really tell you that much about the movie in, in a weird no, way. No, but it's but like, it's put it in my veins. It. Yeah, it's great. That's a, that's a rock solid trailer. And it's yeah, clearly it's a summer, cool. it's a summer blockbuster trailer. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially with, it wasn't you know, a summer blockbuster. Well, it says he's coming to, to rescue your summer. Yeah, it but it was that, a flop. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, but I mean, clearly that's what they're going for, I think. Um, yeah, like well, well if, if you actually look at the history, there was actually a big um, uh, budget cut of, of the promotional stuff. I don't ever remember seeing any advertising for the movie. And I I, I would, you know, I was uh, watching, um, you know, I was living in Georgia at the time. So I was watching Channel 69, seeing the uh, Kung Fu Theater nice. on Saturday nice. afternoons. <laughs> um, uh, you know, like I was primed to watch something like that. And I ne do not recall commercials for this movie. So, so there definitely was, and I was living in Atlanta, you know, like I said, Atlanta, which is not a small market, you know, um, yeah. a pretty big market. So, but, but uh, I, I can't say why, uh, you know, uh, which that, that budget thing actually hurt why um, the movie was a bit of a flop and Kurt Russell will actually uh, uh, was public about talking about that. Yeah. Um, so this is, a, this is, I think a really interesting time to be talking about uh, big trouble in little China, because, you know, just what uh, last month, Shang-Chi came out, the new um, Marvel movie, that, you know, the first time there's a, a Chinese, or I think the first time there's an Asian-American, um, or an Asian, and yeah, I guess Asian-American, because it takes place in San Francisco, um, uh, you know, character as a superhero um, in, a, in a Marvel movie, or in, I think, I mean, any number of really, um, you know, superhero companies. The uh, Crow would be the first uh, with Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. R.I.P. You know, yeah, he was a real one. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Uh, this uh, you really didn't. Uh, there there always was a big crossover to it. Um, I mean, uh, saying she started off as a uh, an attempt for Marvel to adapt uh, Kung Fu, the TV series, and uh, that was a failure. So they ended up uh, adapting uh, Fu Manchu, um, and uh, that's where they kind of built all the characters. Where they lost the rights to Fu Manchu, Yikes. but <laughs> all these other characters that they created is Marvel. So uh, that that's that's the the whole origin story of that. And like all those guys are just, you know, Kung Fu nerds. Uh, you know, you hear stories about like Frank Miller and, and um, uh, those cats from, from worked at Marvel back then are uh, going down to Chinatown and getting like bootleg copies of uh, uh, zoo warriors of uh, magic mountain and, and uh, other, which I, which I uh, just watched most of yesterday. I was, uh, I was exhausted. It was moving at a pace that I was like, I can't. Oh my God. That movie is just <laughs> like, like you it's, it's, this makes this movie look like, you know, you're on, you're on heroin. Yeah. All right. Well, so so I want to go, I guess, um, back to 1986, which is a um, kind of weird year, I think, for um, Asian-American portrayals in film. Because, you know, I, I learned this last night when I was watching through. I mean, I knew that this movie had come out and it was a really, really big um, controversy at the time. But Year of the Dragon came out in uh, 1985. And I guess it was during the shooting of this movie, it came out and this massive controversy where um, some, at least some Asian American groups were saying it was racist and, you know, um, people should not like people should boycott it. People shouldn't watch it. They should pull it. And, um, so big trouble, in little China is being made in, in the middle of this, uh, controversy where some of the actors, including Dennis Dunn, who, you know, is the literally like pretty much the lead of big trouble in little China had started a pretty big role in uh, year of the dragon. So it, it kind of creates like this awkward situation where, you know, um, the portrayal is wholly negative. I mean, the movie has a full white savior, but like more like a Mike Hammer style um, white savior where, you know, he's a, like a violent detective 
that goes through and is just killing people throughout Chinatown and trying to demand that like they bring in all the Chinese elders um, in the in the San Francisco Chinatown, which is the same one that they're doing in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. So he's demanding the elders get arrested and there's all these things with triads and like um, they, they tried to get the studio to like tell everyone like, oh no, the triad stuff is real. Like here's all the information about it. Oliver Stone had, had co-written it, which is interesting. And um, it was about like a like a racist detective who uh, decides that he's going against the police department, who's in league with both the Italian mafia and the Chinese mafia. And then a gang war between the younger parts of the Chinese mafia that um, that that have decided they no longer want to work with the Italian mafia and the older uh, Chinese mafia that wants to keep working with the Italian mafia. So it's this whole like uh, I want to say gangbang because that's a hilarious way to put it of of different of different groups and everybody's corrupt and in that Mickey Rourke plays the um plays the cop and just this horrible horribly violent like racist angry um police officer that, that just goes through and pretty much uh you know shoots anyone he can find so that movie comes out in the middle of the filming of Big Trouble in Little China um sharing a I mean I, they, they built sets for Big Trouble in Little China so it wasn't like they were actually shooting in San Francisco um uh you know in the in the in the, in the chinatown but like you know it's fun fact about place. the sets they they ended up in a janet jackson music video <laughs> i i think there's still i mean i watched uh an interview where someone said they actually like had visited um the like i don't know like uh that like i think they're still up in some cases some of the sets that they built for it you um, gotta you gotta love it someone somewhere probably has that gigantic skull with the green neon around it like hanging yeah. out in their garage or something that's a, that's their thing also, another little contextual point: the year before, uh, year before Year of the Dragon in '84, was I believe it was when Sixteen Candles comes out, which uh, got uh, <laughs> at least some well-deserved shit for just uh, for uh, Getty Watanabe. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. That sounds and, right, or pretty close. His character in. Um, in that word, like, I mean, it was one of those things where like people at the time were calling bullshit on it. Yeah. So, so, you know, not a great history of, or, so an amazing history of, um, I think Chinese cinema and like Asian cinema and all of these really amazing um, martial art movies and Kung Fu movies and all of these really like, like beautifully shot, like mystical, like, like, you know, a long history of that. And then in America, of course, with Chinese American representation, a horrible history, especially in the eighties when, you know, People were not really um, being racially sensitive a lot of times in general. Like we're, it was literally like at the height of the fucking Reagan years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you you have the uh, the thing that was going on was was like the the Chinese cinema was like an underground cult thing. It hadn't gone mainstream yet. Yeah. Because um, because like Jackie Chan really was the first person to bring it mainstream. I mean, let's be honest. Like Bruce Lee might have been uh, the the first big name, but uh, that that kind of bro you know broke out the subgenre. But like. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for Jackie Chan, I don't think it wouldn't have gone uh, mainstream like it has in, in you know, the past uh, 25 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, oh, also real quick, but uh, that's the thing is when Jack, you know, once Jackie Chan gets noticed in Hong Kong, starts to come over to Hollywood and the first... Uh, the first thing they have him in is they cast him as a Japanese race car driver in one of the Cannonball Run films because that was the... Uh, that was the... Uh, the uh, the, the I guess the feeling back then, but also I mean he's he stars in his first attempt at the big brawl, which was you know directed by Robert Klaus, otherwise known as uh, Battle Creek Brawl, 
which comes out in like 1980 and just completely, you know, bombs so hard that he says the heck with it and goes back to uh, Hong Kong and eventually you get um, you get police story and things get interesting. But they also tried to market him as the new Bruce Lee too. Yeah. Like they, they they would they would set him up in like poses that were reminiscent of Bruce Lee poses, and you know have him doing like the ah, you know like the, the haircut and yeah everything. Even yeah. though that wasn't his deal at all, but it was sort of like oh well you know American audiences love Bruce Lee. They're both Asian, right? So yeah, that's yeah. that should be good. They won't know the difference. I mean, I was thinking about that while rewatching <laughs> Big Trouble because like like Bruce Lee was such a unique talent. Like like um. Uh, you know, th there's not that many people that have that much charisma yeah. that Bruce Lee had. And like, as great as Dennis Dunn is, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kurt Russell has a lot more natural charisma than he does. And so like, which, which is why they kind of uh, made, you know, in part, like, like made him as like the, the character for American audiences, which, which uh, kind of, you know, kind of makes sense uh, in a way. But it's also farcical too right like i yeah. mean he, he's yeah, he, him, he he's doing a john wayne impersonation the entire time it wasn't until i saw it as an adult that i was like oh jack's the sidekick that's <laughs> awesome like i never noticed as a kid i was just like cool no. you know and i think there's a lot of um you know a lot of uh digging at, at western audiences in general like obviously you know the big the big shoot em out things that happened in pretty much every american movie at the time um they mock it like number one my one of my favorite lines is when they go to hand him the three uh the 357 magnum and they're like oh don't worry you can be just like you can feel like dirty hair yeah basically like really dirty hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he, then he's like he's like no i'll stick with this and he's got the you know the yeah uh, but, but also throughout the movie you know he turns around and he tries to shoot it pretty much everything and it never works like he, he takes his gun and like in the most unsophisticated and on and on uh you know, just unsubtle way, I guess, takes it out and just starts shooting at everything, which, you know, is a dig at um American, American foreign movies. policy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, both, you know, they're, no, they're, they're interconnected, like definitely American foreign policy, but also like, you know, the American psyche, which is like the, the we're going to run in there, whether it's a war, or whether it's in movies, we're going to run in there and just shoot everything. And everyone's going to love that. Like, so they're making see, fun see, of that. The that's why. That's why I like this movie way better than the golden child, which, which like uh, the golden child has uh, James Hong, uh, who's always amazing in whatever he's in, and um, Victor uh, 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 Kwong, I think his name is the the guy who played uh, uh, Egg and in, in uh, Big Trouble. Um, they're they're both rad. they're both in, yeah. Th those are both great actors, and they're they're great in this in uh, Golden Child, even though it's it's uh, there's lots of problems with it. But anyways, um, the, uh, they're all just like Americans are so awesome, but they're dumb too. But they're awesome, and they don't know it. And that, that's the that's the whole um, you know take of uh, Golden Child. Whereas this one's kind of like, yeah, okay, we all know America's stupid, but how cool is the shiny stuff over here? Yeah, and but also, and I, oh, I was gonna say also like the you know the journey that like Jack kind of goes on too. Yeah, he like blasts the ceiling and like the concrete falls down, and that's hilarious. You know, it's like mm -hmm. that, that's played for laughs and and justifiably so. But also like. It's not like it's he's like just incompetent comedy relief either. He's they're they're moving towards an overall goal to like mm -hmm. a universalist goal, and I think that 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 certainly is not something I caught on to when I was a kid. I was just like, yeah, get him. But when I you know look at it a little more critically, which yeah, that's sure. They're also, there's... I mean, they're they're also you know doing things that very much would be um would work in American movies. You know what I mean? Like shooting out the ceiling. Like you know, in any movie that somebody shot out the ceiling, like everyone would just fall through. Yeah. And so it's like really telling that in in this specific movie 
every time he tries to do something that would work, like like it, it just was probably, fails. Yeah. <laughs> But he's yeah. and he's unsophisticated about it, which is um we're about to watch a, a, a clip where um I don't necessarily like the the wording that John Carpenter uses, but he talks about you know the the simplicity, which I don't really like that he says that, but like the you know the the idea like the the um well I'll 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 play it, but he's kind of talking about the the lack of sophistication that um you know that 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 Americans have versus um well you know that that is inherent to he thinks uh, Chinese culture that's not quite in our culture, I think is what he's kind of implying by it. But, um, this is, so there's going to be a, a few minutes. This is, um, this is just, I wanted to put it in context with, uh, it's a clip of John Carpenter and then, um, um, Kurt Russell and Dennis Dunn all kind of explaining their take on, on different parts of it. And I wanted to cut it together because I think it puts it in context. So we can have a conversation about representation, I think, and about this movie, which is something that I've kind of tried to avoid until now, but you know, I think, I think now is the movie to do it with. It has the most fantastic look. Uh, we've had other oriental type pictures, but this one just has a, such a sumptuous look and the action and everything. Uh, it had to cost a bundle of money. Well, Big Trouble cost a little bit of money, but, but there's something in it that I'm extremely proud of, and it's, it's an essence, okay? It is Chinese, Chinese mysticism and mythology presented to Western audiences with authenticity. It's a world we never have seen before in Western films. It's in the Chinese cinema. And the way I researched this movie was I watched a lot of Chinese cinema and their films, and I found a point of view with which to take, which is one of unsophistication and innocence. They see the world very beautifully, and they, they describe action and movement and color in a certain way. And I tried to, tried to get that into my movie. What did it cost then? Big Trouble in Little China cost... Well, when we're all done, about twenty-five million. I knew it had to be in excess of twenty million. Yeah, because it's all there. It's, and it's, it's a big film. Yeah. So many other films, and not just Oriental films, but anytime you get into any sort of ethnic thing, you know, and I know, John, that there are always a handful of people out there, and they have to see some racism in it. Year of the Dragon. My word, what a flap that was. Now, are you at all apprehensive about that kind of reaction among a few people? I'm not apprehensive because I understand from where it, where it comes from. And uh, I know why, why there is a protest over things. I think if you look at it this way, some, mo some people want a voice, okay? And they don't have one. They're not, they're unheard. And the best way to get your voice, to get your opinion out, is to attach yourself to something that's very visible. Year of the Dragon was a big movie. So in order to be heard, if you attack it, you'll be heard. So I keep in mind that if Big Trouble is attacked by groups who find it, find something wrong with it, it's because they want, they don't want to be invisible. They want you to listen to them. Unfortunately, they choose uh, kind of a, kind of an unpleasant way to do it. But it can hurt the film. I don't really believe it can. I think, I think that um, it didn't hurt Color Purple. It, because there was a protest against that film. It did hurt Year of the Dragon, but I don't think it was the protest that, that, that bothered Year of the Dragon as much as the film perhaps wasn't something that the audience really wanted to see. 
it's much like a film that I saw, a Chinese film called um, The Swordsman, which was made over in, um, in Hong Kong, which had a lot of the same elements as Big Trouble. It, it was basically the Chinese Star Wars. I have never seen a movie like this, and, and it's never been released in America. And it is so magical and so much fun. And when I saw it, I thought, if I can get a little of that in my film, I'm doing all right. But I promise you, Kurt, if others haven't already said it to you, I promise you that there will be some people who are going to say he's a, he's a Chinese Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. Oh, I think that that's fair. I mean, I, I, mean, I think that we're an action-adventure picture. I think movies like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Romance in the Stone are action, basically action-adventure pictures. And ours has a lot of Chinese things in it, you know, a lot of the mysticism of the Chinese underworld underneath Chinatown. So I think that calling it a Chinese Raiders of the Lost Ark would be, well, it sort of would be a compliment because uh, if we could make what Raiders of the Lost Ark made, uh, we will have succeeded at what we tried to do, which was to try to make a movie for a lot of people to enjoy. I, I wondered going into it, I had, I had this thought, I just couldn't help it. Uh, Year of the Dragon, mm -hmm. and you, of course you were in that. Right. And, uh, I was thinking now, my gosh, here we go again. Are we setting ourselves up for another one of those demonstrations and mm -hmm. people saying, oh, it's racist, it's racist? Mm -hmm. Because it seems like, as you know, Dennis, some people will always, with any ethnic picture, they will always find some excuse right. to claim it's, it's racist. So I'm wondering now, when you were thinking about going into this, did, did that thought occur to you that it would be attacked as racist? Well... I um, I saw the script, you know, before I met John Carpenter, and I read it, and I thought the script could, could go in a lot of different directions depending on the vision of the director. I mean, the uh, when I met John, though, I mean, it could, it could have been a racist stereotypical film depending on how it was directed and, and the vision of it. When I met John, though, and I realized his vision was something else, what 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 the movie became, uh, that he was transcending all that and really building on a lot of universality of the characters and. And the, about my characters, especially that he said this character is nobody's sidekick. He's equal to Jack Burton. And uh, I was so excited because I, I, I could see that he was thinking the way I was thinking that. Uh, and I thought this, if, I can, if this happens, it would be a breakthrough role. And when I saw it last night, I thought this film is that and even more. The whole film is amazing, I, uh, you know, at this point. But I don't think there's any problem at all with the film. I think it... It breaks a lot of new ground for Asians. It, it, uh, it's an important film for the, for the Asian community and portrayal of Asians in, an, in a Hollywood film. In what way do you think it is? One, that uh, I'm pretty much portrayed as an American. I'm, I am Chinese, but I definitely am an American who is very uh, savvy to what's going on in, in, on the street, very adaptable, and he's clearly an American. Uh, not talking with a funny accent, not talking some funny pidgin language. Uh, I think that's a major breakthrough in, in American film. I don't think there's been a character like mine ever. Uh, I, I, th I thought that was the case, but when, especially when I saw it on the film, I thought, like, my God. That lady sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, one, one funny, one funny thing is she has, she has all of her old, like she has a whole interview collection on YouTube. Did she start with the same question on all of them? Yeah. Now people, <laughs> an all-white movie. Now people like to see racism in everything. 
Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I but this is that's like uh that's like right wing like right wing independent media. I feel like um every time that, that's totally what I anything. felt like we were watching. I yeah. felt like we were watching some YouTuber that like is is uh, popular amongst like the you know the Breitbart crowd or something. Well, watching, since we all know every this overblown racism stuff is blah blah. Jesus you're watching. Christ. You're watching Dave Rubin do interviews, but yeah, you know, exactly. Dave, old old Dave Rubin. Oh, um, now, no, one so, thing I thought I thought was interesting with that uh, interview is that uh, didn't come up was uh, two of the producers of the film are Asian. Um, yeah. So so you know you you had more than you know you had people behind this camera as well as in front of the camera that were you know yeah. understanding these you know. Right. And, I, and I have a I have a follow up. I have a follow-up clip about that actually in a in a minute. I just wanted to start okay. um, with with uh, with this kind of in context. Um, you know, I think I think that lady is a perfect representation of a time when you know you, you, there was much uh, much less focus on, especially even in media, like being um, either politically correct or being you know like even not offensive. Like she doesn't. It doesn't seem like she has to go out of her way not to offend uh, Dennis Dunn. You know what I mean? Like she's just like people see racism and everything. Right. Right. And like, now you have to be a very specific kind of show um, to, to make that point to someone that's in a movie. And it has to be a movie about that. If you're going to, <laughs> to react like that, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I think it's that Dave Rubin's mom. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, but it's <laughs> actually, I don't even think, no, I think I can't remember how old Dave Rubin is, but he might've been uh he hatched from like a cloning facility. Stop saying his name. He'll appear like Candyman. <laughs> Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin. No, Dave you say Rubin. it. You, you say Bosarnaro five times in the mirror. Bosarnaro. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a mirror, so you know, does a does a camera count? Yeah, there you go. Every time I well, every time I, I hear uh, Bolsonaro's name, I think of Michael making fun of Dave Rubin, like Bosarnaro. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty classic. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. I just, I just also want to say that, like, let's also remember that around this time, uh, Temple of Doom came out a couple years before that, which I love almost all of the Indiana Jones franchise, and definitely including Raiders and Last Crusade. But have you guys seen that recently, Temple of Doom? Wait, oh yeah, it is largely <sighs> oriented. I mean, they're they are saved by harsh tokens. They're literally saved by the colonial British army at the very end. <laughs> Delbert Grady comes in with a bunch of his troops to blast the local thuggies. Yeah. And it really is Delbert Grady in the role. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. It, it, it's rough. Like, it's pretty casually racist, like, all up and down. And I'm not even counting, like, just short round being, like... You know, actually not that bad of a character, but like, and like, I get it, era appropriate level dismissed and, and whatever, but like all the Indian characters, I yeah. mean, it's top to bottom, like rough business. Yeah. Children of monkey brains. Yeah. That's a bummer, dude. Um, but I mean, it also, you know, it, it does, it dates it. But that was in the zeitgeist yeah. is, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah. Like, Clue also had monkey brains. Yeah. Monkey brains here, monkey brains over there. Guys in the middle, well, I mean, I was in elementary school stuff. Everything was about monkey brains back then. But also, I think it's interesting to compare um, uh, George Lucas and um, you know a lot of stuff uh, this era because you know it's all the Joseph Campbell stuff. Um, I mean, John Carpenter was also, I'm pretty sure, into Joseph Campbell, like you know the power of myth, like that that kind of um, writing, which I think comes out when he's talking about like the mysticism of China. Is less, I think, about um, you know his own um, maybe fixation on 
you know, Chinese cinema and Kung Fu movies and all of this stuff. And also on kind of the universality of myth. Like, right. you know, these mythical stories are, are repeated over and over again throughout time and throughout societies and like, and even, even like very um, dissimilarly placed societies, like across the world from each other end up having similar creation myths. And I think that during this time period, like, especially because that's who kind of George Lucas took his, um, you know, took his inspiration from for writing a lot of the uh, original trilogy in Star Wars. Like, I, I think it's interesting that um, it seems like that's in the, in the mythos for, um, this movie too a little bit well they're both i mean they were contemporaries with each other i mean they um they both I mean, uh they both went to they both went to usc film school so it was kind of you know around the same time i think lucas is a is actually let's see carpenter is born in 48 when is lucas uh was it when was lucas uh born let's see Let's check the. Uh, check the I know Lucas. George Lucas is from the same small town in Central California that I'm from, but obviously way, way earlier, uh, yeah. and that's the same town Modesto that American Graffiti is based on. Well, you 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 aged very well, you know. <laughs> you're five years old. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So so this is, I guess, the 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 other side of this is um you know there's been a couple a few panels in, in recent times um. Where you know they've talked with the cast of Big Trouble in Little China, um, you know like the the, the non-white cast of uh, Big Trouble in Little China about you know their experience working with John Carpenter, and this is the interview that I found where they're talking about um, they're talking about how uh, the, the the protests for Year of the Dragon started in the middle of production, and I noticed when I was watching um, at the end, I have a thing on like the effects, like I, I was watching uh, the making of documentary where they're talking about how the effects got done. And I found it really interesting that um, uh, like the one of the effects guys says, "Oh, before it all like like when it, before it all went public, like th this year was a great year for us because we hadn't yet or something hadn't gone public." And he like implied something, and I was like, "And this was like the first day that I was looking for clips, and I was like, I wonder what that's about." And it's because in the middle of filming, I think things kind of exploded, um, like tensions throughout the country exploded because of Year of the Dragon. So I, this this clip uh, goes a little bit more into it and. Also talks about, I think, where um, after Big Trouble Little China, because, you know, a lot of people felt like it was, or at least the cast of the movie felt like this was an, um, a really important moment for Asian American actors, because, you know, really for the first time um, that they can all remember, at least in an American movie, there was a, um, like a, a, a Chinese American hero. So this is a very, uh, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. What was very interesting about the, the show and, and I guess the fan the people who wants to know about the film, there are a lot of secrets that went on behind the scenes to make this film because this film has a lot more um, impact than you imagine because it came out right at the, just after Year of the Dragon and we on, on the crew and the cast had to do a lot of work on it uh, in order for us to fight the uh, protests that were going on at that time. So not only did this represent just fun and games, but it also represented a, a critical point of where the community met Hollywood. And we had to come up, and John Carpenter was really amazing because he really reached out to the cast and crew, and he really asked for all of us to put in our input. And what was nice about it is that uh, 
for example, the long hair. I, I've always fantasized about wanting to have that character because of the old Chinese movies and their old sword fighting movies because I was the only one that of the three storms that wasn't from Hong Kong and they said they knew what was I was in trouble for because I had to sit in three hours of makeup every day just to get it in and out of those the, the, the wig, the three thousand dollar wig that they made for me. But I, I started the East West Players and you know it all, that organization gave us a lot of opportunity and it still is. And big trouble was that kind of movie for us, for the for people here who are martial artists, the greatest of them all, and actors, fighters. And, and that movie, John gave us all a chance. And in fact, uh, a few of you here were stunt coordinators, uh, choreographers, and you were promoted to associate producers, is that it? By the end, that's how hard they work. So, so that was the kind of atmosphere that existed on the set. I slept outside of the, the stage overnight uh, in a little small uh, trailer. In those days, we couldn't afford very much. But believe it or not, that whole film was made for $25 million. Now it would cost you close to 150. But that's the, everybody here sitting here put 150% of efforts into that movie. Work, way beyond what they were paid for. So, so that's the kind of movies that we did. Uh, however, I must say, as Peter started this, uh, start out to say, it still didn't open the field wide enough for the Asian Americans. In, in a way, after that movie, we still just took minor roles, you know, not principal roles uh, of people that are in the principal walk of life in America, like doctors, scientists, and so forth. We still were just a cliche, cliche Chinaman in, in the movies for a long time. And now it's starting to come up. And I hope you people will write to studios or speak up uh, and open up the field more for the Asian Americans. Correct? James Hong is so rad. Yeah, James Hong was the um, was the one person when what was it? Uh, I think I can't remember if it was the local Comic Con or if it was friggin' Wizard World, which is much more of the uh, you know you the the crazy expensive celebrity heavy one. But he was the when he came to town, he would have been like the one person I would have shelled out to have a photo with, and I uh, didn't, and I just never did. But damn. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that that puts it uh, the two things in, in context, though. I think it puts, you know, the fact that these protests are going on during the filming of Big Trouble in Little China. And um, it's kind of I think this panic sets in because there, there are very similar elements, not in the actual story or the way that it, I think it handles the, um, you know, the the well, Chinatown itself as a location and the, the you know, the, the different um, like actors within the movie. But because I've, I've watched a little bit of um Last night I watched a little bit of Year of the Dragon and it is not good, but um, but it's the same uh, the same director that did Deer Hunter, who kind of which, had, which is good despite it being incredibly like that would be prestige television series if it came out today you know like that's yeah. a long ass movie and I and like it, was it. His, um, and it was his comeback after creating um, I think Heaven's Gate or Heaven's yeah. Light or, yeah Heaven's so Gate he had, Heaven's Gate yeah so he had completely tanked his his career and tanked uh, United Artists with that movie. And so Year of the Dragon was him coming back and saying, look, I can still make a movie. I'm so capable of it. 
um, you know, like have me direct things again. And of course, that movie hits theaters and these massive protests start. <laughs> <laughs> we hate you. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then, uh, you know, like uh, we, we do still need to mention Golden Child came out at the end of 86 because um, that, that was also a um, uh, I always find that movie really uh, surreal ever since I spent that week with the uh, Tibetan monks while studying Chinese art history. Um, yeah. they, they had uh, uh, some Tibetan monks come to the college I was at and um, I ended up spending most time hanging out with their translator. He was this really nice guy. And it was just like he, he was kind of like uh, like at first he was a little apprehensive, but then just realized like oh this dude just wants to hang out and get to know me and, and like you know find out what i'm all about too not just about the the monks that we ended up like you know um i wouldn't necessarily say became friends because we didn't keep in touch but somebody like, wants know. to hear about me for me it's not yeah, all about those monks pretty much and i mean we talked about other things too uh, but uh uh you know uh but we did also talk about the monks because that was also like <laughs> fascinating uh but but anyways like like, like that movie used to, uh tibetan monks uh you know tibetan buddhism as like a costume for like some other made up religion for, for this film. Uh, and, and whereas this one, uh, you know, like, like they actually said in the movie, like, you know, Ch Chinese religions, like a grab bag, you take what you want and you can tell like, like there's enough which, there. Which has kind of script. been, which has kind of been a big part of Chinese history. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as yeah. someone oh, that yeah, yeah. Studied it, like a fair amount, like, um, you know, at different times in college, at least like the only reason I got into college was because I, I, um, completely aced i was trying to get into college and i did like a um i went in without fully um being able to enroll and i had a i i got into i got into um the school like new Paltz here because i uh i got a recommendation from the chinese history professor because i did oh, nice. well enough in that class <laughs> but um yeah. you know, like throughout throughout you know uh centuries really like it's it's multiple countries that are really you know taking themselves over over like um manchuria mongolia and like all kind of taking like parts of yeah well the of, different of the different culture. kingdoms too yeah. like, like every single time there's a new yeah. kingdom they, they would take a new grab bag of like um the 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 uh uh the classics um which i, I think is the five classics if i remember correctly um uh which is like the cornerstone of confucianism but like you know there's also like buddhism and taoism and uh they they, they all kind of um uh they don't necessarily inform each other but like like they they don't contradict each other so you could like be a uh, buddhist who visits a uh um uh, a, a, a confucian temple and, and it's completely in line with with the beliefs uh system so so it's it's very strange and, and it gets very confusing as you go through trying to really grasp this and, and write papers for your professor about like different parts of uh history um which is why my my chinese uh history professor told me that um, if I can support my arguments, it doesn't matter what I say. So, so I actually did write an essay, like completely making up everything, but I supported every single fact I put in there and um, concluded it with a, a portrait of uh, Emperor Wen Dai, which was a Wendy's sign. And it just had his name at the bottom. <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke was brought to us by the late Norm Macdonald, RIP. Um, <laughs> Poor little app, yeah. But I think that that hits an important point, too, because I think uh, Big Trouble does a good job of showing that cultural pastiche, of, show, of showing this mishmash of uh, different things that make, make together ch China, you know, and, and they could they have gone further. Oh, yeah. You know, this, you know, this Mandarin over here, you know, and sure. But it's not like a it's it's not a, a historical log. You know, it's an adventure it's movie like what, and a really good one at like, that. It's the pot to Wushu, you know, like like if Wushu yeah. is like hardcore there cocaine. 
this is pop. <laughs> but and it's certainly if you want to know more, it, it's it's easy to find that kind of stuff out. But I think it's fascinating that to me, like um, Wang and like Eddie, like they're Americans, they're Chinese Americans accent on the American building like lives for themselves. And but also like with one foot in this deep historical, very old culture. I mean, let's remember yeah. America is a young culture. When it, from terms of like you know worldwide, especially for something like China that's been around like America is also past. America is also a mismatch of um pretty much everything right. you know yeah like besides the native like you know indigenous people native like there no one's really indigenously from here that that really you know got to stay on the land that <laughs> that, right. that they were originally on. This movie originally was supposed to be a Western, which really would be fascinating to, to remake this as a Western, like the original draft, because of um, like all the anti-immigrant stuff can be directly tied to the anti-Asian stuff of the uh, 19th century. Yeah. So, so I, I would uh, absolutely love to, uh, you know, I, I th that's the beauty of this movie is that it, you know, it opens up this playground and, and uh, to, you know, for your imagination to, to uh, go to town in. They'd have to come um, in as, tel as telegraph repairman, you know. But other than that, <laughs> yes. you can keep a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> We're here to repair the telegraph. Yeah, the, um... <laughs> walk in with a disconnected telegraph. The, yeah, the, uh, the origins. Yeah, the origins. They can think of the little, the little button. Yeah, the, the little. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sorry, the, the origins of, of the rotary phone. They have the little. <laughs> are uh, definitely worth talking about too just to get into because i think it was this was originally i think from everything i've ever read it was originally like taken from the script for the kind of aborted sequel to big buckaroo bonsai uh yeah and there was this was going to be like buckaroo bonsai against the world crime league and the uh the so that's why you have like you have like a either like a story or a script credit from the director of that wd richter who uh, they kind of took that, reworked it, and then put it in. Then after a thousand one uh, kind of circumlocutions, it turns out into this. One John Carpenter had a had a whole bunch of different writers um, looking yeah. at that script and had them come into his office and like explain stuff to him. And eventually, two of them came in and said like, "Hey, like instead of doing a, a movie that's set in eighteen ninety six or something, like why don't you do a movie set today?" And he was like, "That's a great idea, nineteen eighty six. No, I, I don't think he knew that it was going to come out that year, but like, yeah. I think it was 1896 was the year that it was originally set to be um, set in. Yeah. Oh, well, one, one question I think would be good for everybody to talk about is how did you first find out about this film or how were you, how, how did you, how did you first experience it? I can go first for that. Uh, my dad was a big John Carpenter fan and t I don't know how he deemed this to be uh, appropriate, but he took me to go see it in theater. He's like, wow. "Oh, this one should be, this one should be fine for you to watch." <laughs> but let's also—I mean, he also should be like Alien and like RoboCop. So I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is like pretty like low stakes as far as that goes. I guess that explains a lot about me. But <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about it, and and like all I knew was the um, uh, like the preview, the 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 um dragon, little the dragon creature thing, like it's hanging out of the pork chop express at the end. I saw uh, one the, thing with that, and demon, I assumed yeah. the the demon thing. I assumed that thing was going to play a much larger role in the movie than it actually did, which it was fine that 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 demon was appropriately sized for his role. But like, I thought it was going to be all about like Jack Burton and that guy either being enemies or friends or something, and it was a completely different movie. I clearly didn't understand any of the romance stuff or anything along those lines. You know, stuff I had to get later on. But I'm not sure Kurt Russell did either. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have something there. for the. I have something to play towards the end of it. Um, before I go to you know final thoughts later on. Um, when there, I have a thing on the effects that they're talking about, and actually, re- interestingly, a lot of the same people came over from Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, Edland. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. I think there is a similar vibe between or aesthetic between a lot of the stuff in Ghostbusters and at least um. Oh yeah, you know, the, uh, the little hand painted rotos- rotoscoped uh, yeah. lightning and the electricity and the glowing. <laughs> uh, you know, the last dragon was a year before this. You know, the glow. But um, yeah. You know, I I just want to see just follow up on my thing on how to, how to first the thing was I first saw this because it was either on it was either like TBS or uh, TV fifty. Yeah, uh, TBS Superstation or TV50 WKBD out of Detroit. Not as fun as Channel 69. No, but it was but the programming nice. was better. The but it was it was definitely one it was definitely like a I'll fight Saturday. you for that. <laughs> it was definitely a Saturday uh, they had Saturday afternoon. Gorgeous women of wrestling. Oh, glow! Well, glow, if you want to talk about glow, glow is an entirely other other episode. That's uh, we can get into glow too. Glow came on. I had I had to watch glow at my aunt's house in Southern Ohio after SNL. That was the only time it came on air. Anyway, but for, but Big Trouble in China, I first saw it because I think it was yeah, just flipping through Saturday afternoon. It was definitely one of those kind of movies you watch it and like, hey, what the heck is this? This looks cool. And eventually, you know, you'd, you'd see it multiple times and just get re- much more into it. And then like, um, unfortunately, I saw I saw it in like the mid late eighties, and it wasn't really until I get to um, I get to uh, I, I go off to undergrad in Ann Arbor that I finally get exposed to like Hong Kong action cinema. And, um, you know, and then like Jackie Chan show, you know, rumble in the Bronx breaks a year and a half after I get to campus. And so that kind of just opens everything up and then like, okay, so this is what wire foo is and what wushu film is and all that sorts of stuff. But yeah. So it's kind of, and then it was, yeah, that's the, the kicker is that a buddy of mine was saying, talking about how when he's, when he first saw the film as a kid, he thought, he thought this was somehow, a, a, it was a Mortal Kombat film because you had uh, the, the dude that clearly inspired Raiden. Yeah. You had, yeah. Lightning <laughs> and Raiden. Not just that, but also like you, you know, Lopan shows up, you know, there was, an, yep. there was like a thousand and one. Yeah. Between yeah. this and. Uh, Shang Tsung's actually Kombat. an extra in this movie. Really? That's yeah, yeah, uh, I can't. I've never found him, but he's he's credited on IMDb, and he is um, Kerry Takanagua, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, but yeah. he he is amazing, and uh, this what is kind of before man, he really probably yeah. It was like before he really broke because like uh, he didn't break in as a young man either because uh, I, I think that like uh, in the late '80s he just started doing um uh, he was like in um, Showdown in Little Tokyo uh, and. Uh, then, you know, got Rising bigger Sun. and bigger films. Yeah, and, Rising, uh, Sun. Rising Sun. Yeah, which is when I first, uh, uh, first saw him. But the, but he, uh, he's always incredible, whatever he's in. So, so you know, just shout out to him. Um, and, and, you know, you don't – back then you didn't have as many options of even being an extra uh, and being Asian. Like – that's what James Hahn was talking about, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's like it, like this, you know. Whether people think it does or does not pass, like the twenty twenty one woke test or whatever, like it kicked open a lot of doors. I mean, yeah. and credit well, records do. Dennis Dunn, John Carpenter put him in a bunch of other movies too. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I. That's kind of what I wanted to center a lot of this conversation on is is that kind of transformation because it seems like at least the cast of this movie believes that it's a um, turning point. 
in, in Asian representation. And it seems like this year is kind of an amazing turning point in Chinese American representation because, you know, there's a, a Marvel movie, which is the biggest franchise in the world, really. Yeah. Um, that now has a uh, ch- like a like a Chinese superhero or a Chinese American superhero. I think he's. Yeah. Th- it starts in the beginning. He's in um, he's in China and then he he travels to America. So I mean, um, that has potential to be as important as like Black Panther was. You know, as much yeah, as some people like to goof on or whatever. I mean, it like it's culturally important whether you feel that it's. A yeah, well, they can goof or... right now, but Wakanda is forever. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has, has, well, has anyone seen Shang uh, Shang Chi yet? Any. Not yet. No. no, I was actually going to try to watch it uh, in LA, and I, I didn't. And that yeah, is my I'm, story. Just, I'm just curious how the uh, how the fight and stunt choreography, you know, the important parts. The um, I know the the director of uh, photography is one of my favorites. Um, Pope is his last name. I'm blanking on his first name. Oh, but Bill Pope, who also Pope, did yes. also did a, like a lot of classic stuff, including both both Dark Man and Army of Darkness. Yes. If I remember correctly. Nice. Maybe even the crow. Uh, I, I think I think you might be correct on that. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say after dark. Or maybe Dark like, City. I think he did dark city. Anything with dark in the name he has to be involved with. I thought you were gonna say he, I thought you were gonna say he was the one that left the they left the uh bullets in the gun that never mind. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, but uh his is uh Whenever he, he's uh, on something like like lighting is always fantastic. So yeah, you yeah. know, definitely like before without seeing the movie, I'm recommending it, it alone just for the lighting and for the the, the cinematography. I had, uh, I had a bunch of friends go out and see it last week, but we were streaming. Um, you know, last week like on Tuesday, so they were like, "Oh, we're gonna go at six forty-five, and it, you know, I was like, "Oh, I got to stream." I really wanted to though. Yeah, I was I was busy doing you know, recording and other crap like that. I hope it was playing at man's Chinese theater, you know, maybe. Oops, yeah. That would have actually make sense. Forrest, how about you, man? When, when's, how did you get hip to a big show? So, so I've been looking at the, so I'm a John Carpenter fan. I mean, I've obviously seen the thing I've seen um, Halloween. Like I've seen like, you know, a bunch of his stuff. I've actually never seen this one until now. Um, really? Yeah. And I always see the, the, the poster and it's on everything. And I'm always like, I should pick that up because like I like Kurt Russell. I like you know what yeah. I mean. So, but then I just haven't had it. Like I just haven't ended up doing that. The so, thing too, I just want to point out too. Uh, Kurt Russell's actually wearing a Japanese shirt, uh, which makes it even funnier because that that's yeah. Just, yeah, just given, how, given the relationship, yeah. <laughs> um, which I, I think they did that on purpose just for the uh, uh, Chinese viewers, just to be like, like, oh, stupid American. Yeah, because he's, he's a big dumb, the big dumb John Wayne American. The uh, yeah. it's like I, I, I do wonder what in what alternate universe, like, had Carpenter went ahead and cast Kurt Russell as the lead, and they live would have been like because as much as I love Roddy Roddy Piper was probably my is my uh, one of my favorite. You know, uh, I don't want to say, I can, yeah, you could say classic era wrestlers, but um, as an actor, not as much as whatever Kurt Russell could have done. So. Or, 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 uh, but as someone you need to fight for 15 minutes over whether to put the sunglasses on or not, he's yeah. a guy. Uh, also, I would have been curious to see like John Carpenter's Golden Child because because uh, that almost happened. Um, that was actually offered to him before Big Trouble. He turned it down, made Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, like I said, Golden Child um, had three of the stars. You had you had uh, you yeah, know, two of them. Rain is the other guy um, uh, who's in it has a small part. And the, but like uh, if you watch that movie, um, none of the principal characters are Asian. Um, you have uh, mm. Eddie Murphy. Charles Dance, who you know is is always fantastic, and then um, they had a, uh, a woman who's a um, uh, British, uh, Colombian, and Iraqi uh, descent, and she is playing the Asian lead uh, actress. Um, 
Scarlett yeah. Johansson wasn't old enough yet, so yeah, they, they couldn't quite get it. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, but they, they cast her because she was exotic, um, and and was like you know had all the white beauty uh, that that Eddie Murphy could lust over, and yeah. um, uh, then they had two uh, actors playing Chinese bad guys of uh, Charles Dance and Yellowface, uh, and one of them being uh, Randall Tex Cobb. So. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you, when you compare the two movies, even though like like on the surface they have a lot in common, they're both wild fantasies that that slowly escalate into, uh, you know, like an urban fantasy. Um, they they both uh, have you know uh, some of the same actors in it, and and uh, Big Trouble in Little China hits because like it is, it, you know, it, it, it grasps what it is trying to do. It's it's a love letter to to the. It knows what it is. Yeah, because yeah, because it's 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 like almost Quentin Tarantino ish in that way of of just an absolute love for the subject matter, like be it you know the Asian like you know the kung fu cinema, but also it's like adventure serials, like it's your a little Rogers less, it's a little less uh, it's a little less creepy than Quentin Tarantino's well, love. Yeah, letters. but yeah. <laughs> I mean like. But but the thing is, what I would love is if we could talk to about Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker, not as like a foot fetishist or whatever, because like the dude <laughs> loves do, doing an homage, right? That's his deal. Very difficult to one from the other. But but yeah, and Golden Child, uh, you know, even though. But that's that's what I mean when I say Tarantino-ish is is, is that yeah. like it, yeah. it, it's done with like a legit love. But I think it it comes off less like here's my version of that and more like informed from it. Sorry, nobody yeah, says the N word throughout the whole movie though. So yeah. <laughs> okay, you got it. And, and Eddie Murphy um, hated Golden Child. By the way, he he said that you know. You know, yeah, um, that's, well, golden. Well, I think golden child is the, the other thing is like it suffers because the filmmakers were like, "Hey, uh, we don't need to really write jokes for our film. We'll, you know, we'll just bring on, we'll bring on the guy who the funny guy and just like, leave. hey, guy, be funny. Yeah, just like funny guy. Hey, funny guy. Why you not make us laugh, huh? Yeah, it's like it's it's like a modern. It's like a, it's like one of the lesser, one of the lesser McKay or um, oh fuck, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Um, the who's the dude who makes um, who's the guy who made Apatow? Yeah, he was like, yeah, one of the lesser McKay Apatow films where they just they just like say, hey, okay, hey, improv people be funny, and um, but everyone always thinks that works well, and it it rarely does. I mean, it works in the Christopher Guest movies, but man, it's you gotta have like the right people, the right director, and the right understanding of like we're gonna do this a couple (laughs) of times and we're gonna have fun. By the way, I need to announce uh, Jay Hutch is going to be on our show on Thursday. He's going to be talking about Sunset Boulevard with us. Cool, Excellent. nice, great film, awesome. great film. One, th- oh, one thing I did want to mention here because the talk just as we mentioned the casting, especially like the extras or not so much yeah. extra, but the, the film has both Al Leong and Gerald yes. Okamura in it. Gerald Okamura, you uh, you recognize as the the bald Japanese man with a uh, with a goatee, but it has two uh, two revolvers and two bandoleras, and just like you know, it's the one who like you know shoots up everything. It's one of those again, you know, kind of like. Um, Asian character, you know, Asian American character actor. He, he's a that guy. Al Leong's not guy. even an, an actor. He he was a stunt guy who who oh, just yeah. happened to look really yeah. great in front of the camera. So he ended well, up in Die Hard and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, um, no, well, Gerald, no, Al Leong does like any film that Al Leong shows up is in there. But Gerald, the bald guy, is the one who shows up, who later shows up in Samurai Cop. But uh, Al Leong is one of those guys who it's definitely like any film that Al Leong is in is like, oh, is one, yeah, he's definitely one of those those that guys where it's like anytime he shows oh, yeah. up, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, but, this, but no, this is going to be a better movie. 
Yeah, and Al Leong, like I said, he he started off as a stunt guy, and and because he just looked straight in front of the camera, they actually gave him like you know not really scenes, but just like oh you're we're actually going to tell it's you whenever it gets killed. So he became recognizable as you know getting the crap beat out of him and and or beating somebody else up because that that was his his job. And then he started getting actual acting roles, and um, he was actually pretty good in that episode of Kung Fu: The Legend Continues. He was in. So this this kind of takes me, I guess, to. Um, so what'd you think final... of it, Boris? If you hadn't, if you had, because you never got. Really... No, I loved it. Oh, yeah. I, wa- I watched it like four times this week. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I... you had no frame of reference other than seeing the movie poster. Basically, you didn't really know what it was about. I mean, I you know I've seen a good amount of John Carpenter movies. I know kind of where his yeah. politics are. Yeah, yeah, but like... this this and the yeah. and the thing no, are not the same thing. You know, like I know, I mean... but no. So all right, so not in the sense of like. Um, where the where the satire of it and where the um, action style of it, I guess, was going to take things. But you know, I mean, I mean, this is closer to Dark Star. Yeah. Um. So 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 this is, I guess, the point that I wanted to make to kind of um wrap up, I guess, this part of the conversation before going to the effects part of it was um that you know I, I think that it's interesting that a lot of the same actors that were in this, which kind of does feel like a a, a triumphant moment for um asian american actors uh, like as a whole it's interesting that you know at, like every time any actor is mentioned like there's a bunch of other things that are incredibly problematic written by obviously white people directed by white people like for the most part that you know they've had to kind of undergo to get to this point um so i think it's i think it's uh cool to be doing this episode right after you know there is now like an actual like you know chinese american superhero and i want to get your guys' opinion on um you know just just I guess, I guess, in general, like the the process that everyone's had to, you know, every at least uh, the vast majority of Asian American actors have had to go through for um, for representation. I mean, I did cover the history a little bit earlier, um, you know, leading up to Jackie Chan, and, and I mean, even at Jackie Chan, we still didn't even get to uh, there because Jackie Chan was just the guy that they went to. Um, it, it was a you know a few years before Jet Li broke through. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and I think Jet Li, you know, like, like right around that time, uh, cause Hero and, um, uh, uh, Hidden Dragon Crouching Tiger came out around, right around the same time. And, and uh, Different uh, if I remember correctly, that was, was, the, Hero, was it that far? Oh yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You gotta remember that was within a year that, and, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the connecting points is Yuen Wu Ping. Uh, who I don't th- I don't think is doing is is doing um, either the fights or the stunts for the new Matrix films, but Yuen Wu Ping did all the stunt work, the stunt and fight work on the Matrix when that and then when that blew everything out, they then uh, had a good connecting point for Crouching Tiger Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon because that came out in two thousand and they could use the they could use the success of the Matrix to branch over to that. I, I remember that because I was and that was also an American director. Uh, who of Chinese descent? Um, uh, who, who I've just blanked on his name. Is it James Wang? No, not James Wang. Um, no, um, he, did, he did uh, Life of Pi and and uh, uh, yeah, broke out mountain. Ang Lee, Ang Lee, yeah, it was Ang Lee, but it's Ang Lee, yes. But Crouching Tiger, that that one was that one. I think didn't even didn't it even win like I think it did win Best Picture for two thousand. And Hero was not released in America until like '04, and the yeah. only reason I know this. Yeah, but it came out before then. Really? Okay. Well, they, it was well, it, it was, was um, 
The flea it, it market. Out, no, it came out like of the flea 2001. market. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, well, the thing is, it was talked about. It, it, and it, uh, Tarantino got it released in the States. So that's why, like, if you remember the, kid, the market, some DVDs. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, IMD says uh, uh, Chinese release in, in O2. But anyway, um, but, the, but yeah, it is all the yeah, time. So of, like I said, they're really a year apart. Yeah, it's all the same mess of the, yeah, definitely, uh, okay, best foreign film. All right. But, but then again, let's go back to the fact that like when the dragon came out, I mean, it changed culture. Like to the fact that like Bruce Lee had already been Cato, right? He had been like the sidekick he, he, and he was great at it. And like, there's a hilarious, you know, when there was the uh, um, Green Hornet and Cato uh, versus uh, Batman and Robin, apparently there was a, a fight stage between Robin and uh <laughs> and Cato and he was like there's no way i'm losing to this motherfucker or something he said that <laughs> off yeah. and, and supposedly that's like some of some of the inspiration for why bruce lee is a total cock in uh, once upon a time in hollywood uh but i get it like it's robin i mean yeah and if you're bruce lee and you're like i'm gonna lose to him yeah I yeah, know you can't so. you can't you know <laughs> but but the the point of fact is he uh he he affected culture so much that american audiences only saw Asian characters in the mold of Bruce Lee for many years. To the fact there was a million ripoffs as well and TV shows. And again, as, as I mentioned, Jackie Chan, they tried to like, they tried to make him the new Bruce Lee, like literally like sell Jet him Lee as that. for a while too. Jet Li is in the same, in the same mold. Cause, cause Americans, he had such a huge uh, impact, but there just weren't other characters uh, that were so well known that like, that's how people, um, took it in and it also looked at a whole generation yeah yeah but it also the whole generation I was just <laughs> Sorry. Say that, that um <laughs> attempted to learn martial arts poorly that's that's all i was gonna go with that but like <laughs> yeah no but like like my name is bruce is a great example of this because yeah. because you hear you have a movie that's a, a comedy a terrible comedy um yeah. do not watch my name is bruce yeah um good. i remember uh, it, it is it's it's, it's yeah, I, I mean, I've watched it too many times, unfortunately. But, why, why, do, why do you do these um, things, Andrew? Why? Why uh, do you do them? It was fun. I thought it was funny when I was a kid. Yeah? Yeah, being, being I mean, a, when, being a like kid seven, is you know. a lot of these things. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's well, it's also like that's the kind of thing that it, it got away with because people just want to know more. I want to know more of Bruce Lee. That guy's awesome, you know? So the, Yeah, um, and, and, and like that was the whole joke was like uh, you have this um, stupid Chinese guy who, who does Kung Fu and is – traveling across country, traveling, uh, you know, trying to um, smuggling uh, cocaine across country. Uh, but the guys, the, the Italian mob told him it's a uh, flour. And uh, yeah. so the best parts, whenever they uh, decide to uh, bake a cake with the flour. And that's why it was incredibly liberatory when in year of the dragon, you know, the, the, the Chinese mafia tried to break away from the Italian mafia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and... yeah, exactly. No, no, we know what cocaine is. God damn it. <laughs> Listen, heroin, it comes from this part of the world. <laughs> And yeah. if you try to fuck with our heroin supply, we're gonna fuck you up. Um, no, so I, I I think that um, I fucking forgot what I was gonna say. You guys have been going on. I have, a, I have I do have a relevant point that of all things, um, um, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Korean American stand up. Uh, had her had her um, Margaret Cho. Yeah, Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho. Uh, about the same year that she that her. That her sitcom debuted, uh, <laughs> which had Sam Cedar on an episode. Has yes. Also, do you remember who played her boyfriend in the show? Oh, was that Harold from Harold and Kumar? No, it was Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. 
because it was 1995. But I had a, um, I just remember this because I had a, I had one of her, uh, I don't know if it was like a proper album or just like a recording of one of her stand up bits, but she talked, this is in about like 94, 95, but she'll talk, she talked about how um, the casting for, that the, the the standard like American you know Anglo American casting director view of any sort of like Asian American was always either as like the foreign exchange student or as like the Tai Chi master. It's like it always has to be foreign, like I mean, which is like yeah. some sort of weird like like it's almost like some sort of like um like late mid well mid nineteenth century yellow peril like California you know. Um, anti-Asian immigrant things just like baked in the soil so much that that kind of in thanks to thanks to like you know uh the Chinese exclude was it the Chinese exclusion acts or the yeah uh, the Chinese exclusion mm-hmm. acts exclusion followed, acts followed by just like a followed by like a more general like yeah it would be from, that kind yeah of, from the 1880s yeah, yeah. until like the 1920s when it got worse and not yeah a, but thanks really, to a Chinese inspector named um uh uh Berkshire yeah. But yeah, and it did, and because it did, that was the thing. Is like you up until, and I think that was the kicker is that you had such a um, up and because uh, American immigration did not open up again until I think it was it sixty four, sixty five. Yeah, which I think uh, the Cone Brothers, a serious man, kind of riffs on the. Um, so like for the longest time you had like you did have like a you know it, like a small little pop you know Japanese and Chinese population in Los Angeles, but you would they were always kind of seen you know they were just seen as kind they of typecast. Yeah, they're always typecast, always the foreigner, and so like even you know just the idea of. Um, Look at Dennis Dunn's character being a protagonist. I mean, yeah, again, yeah, like yeah, he said in that clip, thing. right? And the, the, the kicker is, is that and make it, now making me realize the one person who probably could have squared the circle a, a lot earlier, who who could have been the um, you want to talk about, you know, the human synthesis of this would have been Brandon Lee. I think Brand, had Brandon Lee made it. I think, yeah. uh, well, if, he's, the, if he had lived, yeah, if, yeah, if he had lived, I That's think he probably, the CIA had to take him out. By the way, the human synthesis sounds like it could be a John Carpenter <laughs> album title. <laughs> that's yeah, probably hey it, it would probably be uh damn well worthwhile i've yeah did you, did you see john carpenter's tour uh, a few years ago uh but tony the bass player in conan neutron the secret friends did and i i should have gone with him and i didn't but he said it was fantastic it was only yeah it don't it didn't sell out the main theater here in portland it was only about a half full but like every like film nerd yeah. like punker metalhead dork of like i mean i i dragged my partner with me to go see it and it was one of those things we just see like i said it's uh you know it's john carpenter he's like he's a composer but he's not necessarily a performer he's one of the things he probably should have like played much more shows but like so he was kind of rusty he's a real musician like game respect game like he's not like like sometimes you have like actors or directors or whatever they dabble and like that's cute but like it's he's a real musician Real musician, but however, not much. I think he was still a very green live performer. But as oh yeah, rusty as those are was, different skill sets. Yeah. Oh yeah. He mostly as does rusty, scoring, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like as rusty the, the... as that was, he pl- uh, once they start playing the opening theme to Escape from New York, it hits and it hits hard. I'm sure. And like people, and like people, like in the audience were like freaking out, and that was, uh, it was something. So. And sometimes he writes Devo kind of Oingo Boingo style songs that uh, are referenced for this movie that yeah, have videos yeah. that blew me away because I had never seen that before. And that 
Yeah, that <laughs> was something. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah, era appropriate ridiculousness. Oh yeah, nineteen eighty six yes. synth pop tunes where yeah. they're wearing like brown leather jackets and I and ties because why not? So I, I have like I have a something. Bunch of... Oh, I no finish finish your thoughts. Oh I no, I was just gonna say yeah, he's only the host of the show. Yeah, let him you know. Yeah, only the host of the show. You, you know, it's not important what you're saying. Yeah, no, 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 but enough about the big trouble in little China song. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been, I've been no, relegated no, to semi basements. You know. Sorry, uh, Andy, go ahead. No, John Carpenter looked like you know, like like uh, my friend's dad's back in the ki- uh, back in the day. You know, like trying to jam in the basement. Uh, um, you and, know, did, did, uh, did, and with the ringer friend, which would be like the oats sort of dude, is doing all the harmony, doing all the heavy lifting with the singing, where it's like, whoa, yeah, because he, he's like, he starts off like big trouble, yeah, big big trouble. trouble. and he's just like going forward, it's like, whoa, dude, you're you're you can, you're at ten, we need you at about seven, but okay. yeah, and also okay, and I get it. The guy in the room who was somehow more high than like every younger kid like combined. The um, at some point we really should talk about how uh, <laughs> John Carpenter's influence and addiction to video games because there's a hell of a lot of video games that he would not have existed had he not done his work. But also, I think it's hilarious that, like, for the last I don't know 25, 30 years well, at least 25 years like, his life has been weed and video games to the point where I know somebody who went down, um, a couple of the couple of the um organizers of the hp lovecraft film fest who were like you know filming a documentary about this stuff we actually went down and interviewed him and he was complaining it's like damn it you're gonna- <laughs> oh. See, we're, never gonna- we're never gonna get to the end of that story now <laughs> oh. um so so i guess i, I might assume the yeah. end of it is damn it you're interrupting my weed and video oh, game there you go. i'm gonna assume that's the end of the story um no, I, I I watched an interview with uh and back. With, yeah, that was that was the that was okay. the, you're, you're, you're my my video game time. <laughs> no, so I, I watched an interview with him where uh one of the people that worked with him was giving like a retrospective interview um that had been on the set of a bunch of his movies and he's like, Are you ever gonna direct another film? And he was just sitting there with the guy and he's like, Maybe if they pay me right, and it's just <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the it's, he's lost it. He's uh, do not let John Carter. You know, let him like advise you. Do not let him direct do, direct another. Yeah. film. I think, I think it's. Completely- I mean, vampires. That was a harsh joke, man. Oh, I love like, that, man. It's I still, just I, I, fun. I, I still have a, I still have a copy of the that. I really need to finish that book. I have the. I have a copy of uh, what is it? John Steakley. John Steakley, the uh, the author of Vampires. Dollar dollar sign somewhere around here. I really should finish finish it. Also, uh, I one yeah, I'm learning the hard way of uh, this is the problem of using browser-based uh, group chat web streaming things. Is that if you accidentally hit the wrong button on your mouse that does yeah. either back or forward, it takes you completely out of the stream. So that's how the apocalypse will actually happen. Someone <laughs> yeah. will hit a wrong tab. We can't stream anymore. It's the apocalypse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the apo- so trust me, both the, either the apocalypse or the revolution will be streamed. So, um, so I have, I have a question for you guys, I guess, and this is what I remembered finally. Um, That's good. So After when, 20 uh, minutes of derivation. Good yeah. on you. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, like, I think there's a lot of translation in this movie, and I found it really interesting. Like, um, like obviously, we have Kurt Russell talking for a Western audience and, like, you know, explaining this thing, like, just by asking questions, um, which I think is pretty uh, hilarious and played for laughs. But then, you know, even Dennis Dunn is kind of, he's not Chinese, he's Chinese-American in this movie. Right. And, you know, that is its own form of translation. Like, 
one and foot a, in, in China, one foot in the United States. And, and a small business owner. He owns that restaurant. Yeah. And no, so so you have that, but then you also have, you know, um multiple multiple characters like uh you know the the law lady, I forget her first name, but Gracie uh, Law. Gracie Law, yeah. So you have her who lives in like she lives in Chinatown, but you know, is also asking a lot of questions and she gets she's the one that they explain the Lopan thing to. Um not not Kurt Russell because he's you know he's so far gone with what he knows or what he could have things explained to that like they would have had to do way too much for I think for the audience they would have had to do way too much background on it so they they choose her to kind of give that and they play that for laughs at one point when they're in the um right after they're in the brothel um and you know they're all kind of asking questions and then finally Dennis Dunn's like okay the truth is we don't know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah. which yeah. is it was hilarious because it's like there's so much it's like a self-aware take on like, there's all this ex exposition drops that are happening. Right. Yeah. And so but it's a fun way. And it's hilarious. Cause even when you've seen it, you're like, that's, that's, that's kind of where they're at. Cause they don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. That is a nice touch of the film is not only do you have mul well, you have multiple characters to do. You have multiple characters present who need exposition, who will receive the exposition dump. Also multiple characters who will give the exposition dump. There's you, all the white folks be either, be it Jack, be it Gracie or be it Margot, her, you know, her reporter friend. Um, I think it's, I think she is the reporter and yeah, whatever, but Margot um, okay. are all the receptors, but, but you, but you have, you know, both, um, both you know wang chi and egg shen are the ones who will get in i think you will even one point uh eddie yeah eddie lee um will give are like the three like the ones who actually will deliver um uh deliver exposition to that and even and now i'm just realizing i'm just one of the other things i remember reading off of imdb was just that apparently the you know the opening scene where egg shen talks to fox Mulder's dad and kind of just lays everything out and does a great job at both like setting things up but also like um bridging the establishing um because it's that's the one thing about the, because this is urban fantasy establishing that link between the quotidian city space and the fantastic where you have the guy in the um you know he's in almost like this very noir smoky he's um, being questioned he's being questioned he's being about questioned the events that transpired yeah, i've actually i have a really i have a really funny um clip with john carpenter talking about that scene so, Go for it. Um, well, I, I got to pull it up real, real fast. So you, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's kind of, yeah, it's smoky. There's like, he's yeah. being questioned by an obvious fed. Again, that's Fox Mulder's dad. Like there's uh, there's Venetian Blanche, you know, Noir Shadow across Egg Shen. Uh, there's a couple, there's like at least one person in the background probably taking dictation. And it's just this great, like, you know, how do you, how do you set up this very, you know, normal, boring, quotidian scene? And then Egg Shen finally like, you know, pulls out. He's like, you know, you know, just living. That's how it always begins. And that's a testament to how great this movie is, is I've seen this movie so many times and I always forget that that's how it starts. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. it starts with this. Cause it takes you on such a wild ride that you don't even ever think about like that yeah. scene. Which that scene was filmed last, I yeah. understand. Yeah, which I think that's what yeah. part of the for, a, yeah. for for a reason um elaborated on within nice. within this uh John Carpenter clip. And it's kind of it's actually a, a really funny reason, I think. Um synergy. That's what we do here. Mr. Carpenter. <laughs> um so one of my favorite films of yours uh, is Big Trouble in Little China. And I remembered <laughs> I remembered reading that initially it wasn't planned to be sort of a modern story. It was 
maybe imagined it to be an, an old west film i'd read that i don't know if that's true or not it was a western originally okay um my question is was it always meant to sort of be subversive in the way that your typical like action star is one of the least useful people in the plot and like how easy was that to sell to the studios i don't think they knew that's what we were doing <laughs> you know they wanted raiders of the lost ark that's what they wanted and, and when you, you read the story this guy's an idiot <laughs> he's a blowhard he is the second banana and he doesn't know it and that was the whole joke of the film so Kurt went along with it, and the studio didn't know this till the very end. <laughs> and they were shocked. I got a lot of crap for it, you know. Well, wait a minute, what have you done? I had to add that opening scene where Victor Wong says he was, he was very brave at the studio's request to tell the audience your hero's brave. No, he's not, he's an idiot. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. Yeah, the, the opening <laughs> shot of our hero, like, uh, just ranting, you know, <laughs> proto, you know, proto podcasting, uh, you know, uh, CB uh, radio rants, yeah, CB radio rants where he's, you can see him, he's like just munching on, I think both a sandwich and also what appears to be a hostess fruit pie while like just yakking into the mic and like there's not yeah nothing better nothing better for vocal quality than shoving a hostess than, than eating while place. you're doing it as, as everyone who podcast yeah. knows there's also that at jack burton bot just free plug here that like just tweets random quotes of his musings his cb musings uh yeah it, it, it's, it's definitely a worthy follow it makes me smile every time i see it i like i also like that he refers to himself in the third person throughout that oh yeah and it's and, fantastic and at the end of the movie he's like as jack burton always says and they're like, who the fuck is that? Who? Like, <laughs> Jack Burton. Me. <laughs> well, and I think that's also so great, too, because even though, yeah, he's a bit of a of a fool, he actually does have a good heart, even though okay. he like, yeah, yeah even though it, it comes off as like just being kind of like self-involved, like pseudo-libertarian, like whatever, like he kind of finds purpose to a certain degree uh, in the adventure. And it ends in like an, an interesting way that like, you know, he isn't he doesn't get the girl. You think that it's set up for that to happen? That 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 doesn't really well, happen. Yeah, he just he, kind of well, drives he, off. He he takes off, which is kind of yeah. the classic Western thing, like right? Mad like, Max, just like Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did the same shit. <laughs> That's how you know you're coming to the end of the fairy tale. Is the uh, the the sidekick slash other hero, the ones um, who has been changed by the uh, both you know both him and and wang have been changed by I'll the experience that kind of disappears into the uh and they, and they even lampshade it by Margot, the uh you know the female lead sidekick uh, you know even like just for, you know aren't you gonna kiss her yeah um, yeah yeah also, which think, is great yeah that's it's like speaking also, the audience's thoughts <laughs> yeah also i think i will say this unless i'm wrong like this film does pass the bechdel test so yeah and, and i actually think i i I like Kim Cattrall's character a lot. I think she does a, a good job in this movie. It's probably my favorite thing she's ever done, frankly. Yep. And, oh, and, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty wide, it's a pretty wide chasm, frankly. Um, but... well, she, well, between well, with the, okay, this and Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country. 
I forgot she, she was in that. Yeah. No, she yeah because she takes because Kirstie Alley felt uh, that she was too important to leave Cheers to go shoot another Star Trek film, so they just kind of they inserted Kim Cattrall's character. She well, they were originally going to have her play um uh uh Savick. Savick. yeah, and um uh they they uh, and Kim Cattrall's like you're going to recast this character again? Why didn't you just make right. a new Vulcan? You're like okay. Yeah, there's not like three of them. It's it's fine. You can yeah. do that. But but I, I, again, I think that it, it is an ensemble. Like right. So even though like Jack Burton is like set up, and the studio certainly thought that like okay, this is going to be our Indiana Jones. Like I mean, again, we've mentioned before, even up to the John Wayne impersonation, he is very clearly doing the entire time. The fact <laughs> that that he let's charitably say screws up just as much as he succeeds let's just let's give him the win there but i mean it's even in the uh in in, in the um trailer right how are you gonna get us out of here and he's like i have no idea you know like that's great because that actually pre prefaces the sort of modern self-aware uh hero's tale that like you see more of with contemporary movies where that's more to be expected but it's done in a way that like everyone but him knows it i don't know pilgrim We'll yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I mean, like I, I think that's awesome. But I also think you couldn't make this movie now for a number of reasons. Like it wouldn't hit the same. Yeah. No, and there, have yeah. you ever read the uh, the script for the sequel? Is that the one where Egg Shen is running around and doing stuff? Uh, no, no. Uh, Peter David wrote it, and uh, the one I read really? was uh, centered on Jack Burton. <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of that's actually. That's actually... <laughs> In a very, in a very in a say very, no more. You've made the sale. I'm greenlighting this project. Yeah, that's, very, God, that's very similar to like you know Senator and Mrs. Blutarski. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah. One thing is, I'm like I'm like flipping through the uh, the IMDb IMDb listing and like Dan Eno Sato was in this film and like Eno Santo was in this film. I was like, holy crap! I did not know that. I did not recognize him. Dang, it, it, it makes sense, the, though. When, uh, yeah. when Jack Burton says, if we're not back in time, call the president. Yeah. He's a senator. Now I can really, now I can really just pick up the exactly. phone. Exactly. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I do think it's – I did hear something about – there was talk like – I don't know if it was going to be a prequel or spinoff or something, but it was just going to be like Asian's story, like, like how he – you know what led up to him being like the character in there and that's really cool because he's one of those characters you seem like oh there's way more to that dude than we're seeing right now yeah like he's Egg one of my favorite characters egg shen is like 1940s chinatown sorcerer there's yeah. something there yeah and like you could have like a whole like a philip marlowe style like uh setup going on well, with him he, he's way older than than you know he seems too they they, they yeah. hinted at enough of that uh beautiful in the film. chinatown yeah <laughs> They also, they also, um, they also give him the chance to really, um, uh, I guess, do like kind of almost like a time warp between uh, the original script, which is written at the time, obviously, that like the railroads right. are being built, and the 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 script that ended up being the the case, which is you know the script taking place in in the nineteen eighties. So it's interesting; he's the one character that kind of acknowledges um, like the long history of uh, the way that Chinese labor was exploited in a severely like you know exploit it and throw it away kind of way um yeah. you know in, in, in the same way that like irish, all of that. yeah irish labor was was treated that way and you know obviously black labor was treated i mean yeah. at, at and that by time, labor but, i mean basically yeah. at the end of slavery they, they had to find something you know somebody to fill the uh yeah. the right. and which, uh which, yeah, there's actually a great book called hobos which kind of covers the migrant side of things yeah um, like, like they sort of they sort they do sort of reference in uh blazing saddles in, uh, yeah. one of, in one of the jokes at the end. Yeah. 
They, they well, they referenced it. Um, I think at the actual. Um, yeah, where they're like, they're like, but we don't want the Irish. And then yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think that that you know that long history is something that um you know should be explored. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 like listening to the audiobook of uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States right now. So I'm 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 very tuned into that, and I've waited way yeah. too long to actually listen to that. <laughs> oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's going to be worth the wait. You know. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm like I'm getting out through it now, but I'm saying like I've waited till this point in my life when it's been like on my shelf since I was a kid. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I can't, I can't get yeah, to it. You gotta read it. You gotta read it at some point. I haven't even read it yet, but I've read, you know, it's it's the, 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 the stack of stuff that I need to read is uh, would go through the ceiling. So, well, it it really is. I mean, the the way that it was transformative is that you know the the history that everybody's kind of learned since that book came out is yeah. It, it's like as as far as like books go, it's like the slint of like that type of book that like it inspired all these other kinds of like genres of books and all these other books that have gone on to do things, you know. And just uh, and just history teachers, I think. Hold, 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 hold on, stop, stop. Forrest and Andy, do you know who Slint is or was? No. Okay, just checking. That's that, that's that's for my audience. That's for the Slint people Shane? I like in this show. Dude, I was, I was, <laughs> dude, I did college. I did college radio for six years. I know who Slint is. I, me and my friends have done the Slint photo in a lake. Then, then you'll appreciate how clever I was when I said that. Yes. Uh, for those of you in the audience who don't know who Slint is, uh, look look up Slint Spiderland and the the operative phrase being math rock. So. Um, Anyway, sorry. Uh, Incredibly sorry. influential is for, for those that that aren't into that style of music. It's they yeah. spawned many bands. They spawned genres of bands. Yeah, and and in that way, I think people history of the United States of America uh, did similar. Yeah, similar to the to the Velvet Underground or Husker Du. All right, so I want to before closing out, I want to um, play this. This is, I mean, it's five minutes of different cuts of, of this, but I thought it was really interesting. This is like just talking about the effects and how the effects. Um, were, were utilized throughout this. So this is going to be my final uh, clip that I play. But I want to talk about that, you know, briefly. I mean, this has been a really interesting conversation about, you know, the history of um, Chinese-American, you know, involvement in cinema. But I, the, the amount of fun, really, in this movie is 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 pretty incredible. Like, it really is just a fun movie. Um, and, and I really like that they, they picked that kind of every time anyone's talked to John Carpenter or Kurt Russell about it, like, the first thing that they talk about is like, well, we just wanted audiences to have a good time. And, like, kind of... Uh, taking that and then, you know, putting the more subversive cultural messages into a movie that already kind of is just meant to be fun is, is I think, uh, pretty transformative. It is like uh, shooting a ballet. It's like shooting a dance. It's so pretty to choreograph and cut together. I really enjoy doing it. It had to be a bear to shoot, though. Well, it was tricky. It was tricky. We, we shot it in a very short time. The, uh, the big ending sequence that you see in the Great Arcade took five days to shoot. Now, in a normal film, we would have spent months on it. And so I had to pre-plan everything and get, it, and get it done very, very quickly. That says a lot for you as a director, though, John, because there are some things <coughs> that you just can't rush, you know. That's true. In this case, however, the, the story required us to go very quickly. It's a, it needs a great momentum to carry you along that wave of fantasy and have a good time. So um, the momentum of the shooting kind of got everybody inspired to go real fast. And James Hong is his mortal enemy, the most feared figure in Chinese legend, David Lopin. The 2,000-year-old man 
that's the David Lopan that has traveled through the history of China all, over 2,000 years, uh, looking for this girl with the green eyes, you know, and just keep looking, and he's looking constantly for... It gets kind of tired after 2,000 years. Very quiet, please. Uh, in the 20th century, we get the distillation of millennia of Chinese uh, fantasy. <laughs> The most unpredictable characters from Chinese mythology are the three storms, thunder, lightning, and rain. A powerful trio who packs some unusual weaponry and who presented the greatest challenge to costume designer April Ferry, who also created James Hong's elaborate robes and Susie Pai's traditional wedding attire. I just wanted to kind of create something that was authentic looking, but that was still really a fantasy. And the most challenging one to make was the bamboo armor because it is authentic, that bamboo. But to figure out how it must have been done years ago and how we could do it now and still have the actor be able to move in it. And each actor would come in and they'd do their martial arts kicks and we would adjust the costume to their needs. 85, it was kind of our golden period because uh, we didn't have a lot of uh, competition at that time. So there was a lot of activity and uh, and John uh, Carpenter was, uh, uh, he was a veteran of effects movies and he'd done a lot of movies with rubber and with, with various effects. So it was, it was easy to communicate with him. The big piece de resistance actually was, was Lopin and, and his glowing head, you know, which was very interesting. I mean, the, the and James Hong, is a great actor. He's this great character actor who, you know, he's just—he's just a really great actor, and 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 really got into the part. And John really liked him, and he was cantankerous, you know. And he'd been in a thousand movies, you know, so he was a real pro. And uh, uh, so we had um, we had to cast his face and then make his whole face uh, and make it transparent so that we could light it from within and see all the veins. And, so no, a number of a number of situations culminating in the scene where he lifts his hand and then his finger nail comes out and of course the light that was inside the head was so hot that we had to shoot it quick because it, it would start smoking. I mean, it had like about a thousand watt bulb inside the head, you know, or maybe brighter. I can't remember now. But one of the interesting um, units in the movie was the big floating eyeball monster, which had all these eyes. And it was, that thing must've cost a hundred thousand dollars to make that thing. I mean, it was just, it had, you know, all these eyes and it had little bladders for making the cheeks pulse and, and, and the mouth would open and it had expression, you know, you could, and, and when the mouth opened, there's another eye there and uh, acrylic castings polished and then the, the, the irises were all done with paintings and then layered in front more uh, acrylic um, pieces that were that were molded and polished and everything so they were they were quite nice eyes and so behind this thing and then we had in order to shoot it we put it sticking out in front of a little blue screen uh, which had a hole in the middle and then behind that were about 15 people with levers and with their hands in there moving things around and, and the eyes were blinking and, and uh, so it was it was extremely complicated you know and, 
and, and and it's all worked out and choreographed so that you know you're 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 out in front calling numbers and then the people on the on the uh, on, on the levers and everything that are operating the eyes blinking and the cheeks and the, and the, and the expressions of the face are watching video monitors from the camera out in front to keep track of what they're doing, you know. So that was that was a technique that we used, uh, you know, quite a, quite a lot. And going from we set the shop up on Ghostbusters, and Steve had been there through then, Steve Johnson, and uh, so and, and he wound up being head of the of the, uh, of the monster shop. So rad. Practical effects are the best, man. Yeah. I wish that guy had more charisma than the way he, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he's that. reading off the bus schedule, but I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't. Yeah, he, he's got a face for uh, he's got a face for podcasting. What can we say? The uh, you know at least the delivery for it. I will I will say I the the other kicker about this film is that this is how uh, I think like an entire generation of nerd kids learned what a be, what a beholder was because it's one of the monsters <laughs> before it ever showed up. Before it ever, we, um, before Eye of the Beholder was ever a, was it night? I think it was like a TSR game. It was a, it was like one of the first, like first person, uh, D and D. It was a D and D addendum, yeah. Yeah, D and D addendum, but it was like also one of the first PC games that D and D did in first person in like ninety two, ninety three. So, which is uh, again, which is my era because I remember. Uh, I was gonna say you gotta save this for the Gene Bajalon show that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also, um, at one point during that, and I didn't end up including it, I don't think, he said something about, like, how they had built an alien, and you can only see the alien for, like, one second, but they walk past, like, an alien, um, briefly, and he's like, I thought the alien was going to be in the movie more, but it doesn't even play into it, and I was like, wait, what the fuck, where was the alien? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, it's almost like the same joke from, or this, the same kind of thing from, at some point, you might want to, uh, another film you might want to, uh, cover of Cabin in the Woods, where they went nuts oh yeah with, uh, yeah again, I mean, just the just the amount of like you know creature features but even like god it's like you know just the the aborted tie-in with left for dead where they actually had like the four like the four main zombie types from left for dead are in uh are in uh cabin in the woods and yeah people talking. like posited and like have like pointers to like oh over here this is that one yeah oh, it's yeah, crazy no, it's one of the few films i own on i i own them uh, on blu-ray for just that reason yeah, brilliant and, movie. Um, yeah excellent um another great like horror comedy genre screwy whatever you want to call it you know uh bonkers type film also, and oh, real quick, film recommendation if you do like bonkers horror comedies. Uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler. Describe it as such. But if you haven't yet, see Malignant. It's, I, so many people are talking. People are talking about it more and more. Yeah. <laughs> you hear about it more? No. I mean, because like, I heard somebody, I think, I think uh, Uwe. Many uh, people Uwe, are saying it. Yeah. Uwe, uh, Uwe Baller. You guys heard of this the, movie, Malignant. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's talking about it. But no, seriously, it's see called the, one of those things Malignant. Where, yeah, it is the, uh, it is the uh, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the blank, you know, the, the blank check podcast episode. On You're Malignant. waiting for the blank check in the mail? I'm just waiting oh, for that blank check. No, well, Yay! No, well, uh, no check, out, check out the blank check podcast 
done because it's all about directors who have had like big successes and they're given a blank check by the studio. And the, these podcasts is about what they do with that blank check. And uh, oh, they have cool. they've covered the highs of like, like uh, Fury Road as an example, but they've also covered the lows as to like the kind of things that uh, Robert Zemeckis has been up in. In fact, they are currently in their John Carpenter series right now because they've covered, they'll go like director by director. And so I heavily recommend, uh, yeah, see the film Malignant and also listen to the podcast Blank Check. And right. you know turn, what, you know what Jack Burton always says? Yeah. Jack Burton always says the blank check is in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I gotta say though, um, just just uh, you know, uh, the beginning of the, those series of clips there, you had John Carpenter talk about the uh, the speed of the movie, mm-hmm. and um, I, I gotta say like like uh, Zoo uh, Warriors of uh, Magic Mountain, which is one of the movies that inspired this. It's like um, this movie on speed. Yeah. You know, which is just like no, you know, it's, it's, insane. it's literally like someone took John Carpenter's head and just. I hit it into a mountain of cocaine and was like, "All right, go for the movie." Yeah, and made it watch. <laughs> made, it, made it watch Houseu a few more times. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the thing is, is like, like uh, I mean, Samu Hong is fantastic in the small part he has in that movie. Which I was actually very sad when I got to the end, and Samu Hong had such a you know very small part because he's always great um, playing like fat uh, Bruce Lee in movies. That was I, his. I, so- <laughs> So I so I fucked up because um tomorrow I have to like leave for Long Island and I'm going to get the pup um from from North Shore Animal Shelter or whatever and cuz we're doing that show on uh on Thursday we're doing like two shows on Thursday I stayed up all night um on Monday night and just like spent or well yeah like or no I stayed up all night Sunday night and and got like our show um our show notes together so I could have clips and so I was watching Zoo uh, Zoo Warriors and it was going at that breakneck speed and I had no sleep. So I was just like, I, I can't fucking do this. This is not. Even more, yeah. Even more glor- gloriously delir- delirious. Yeah. And the, and the movie is just like, like yeah, just, you know, makes sense now. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I made it, I made it an hour in, but like, I was just sitting there like, Oh fuck. I've missed so much. There, there's like so much going on in that movie. It's, it's like absolutely breakneck going from like zero to like 90 and like, you know, on a scale from one to 10. In 30 seconds, it's it's that nuts of a film. Um, it makes it makes Big Trouble in Little China look like you're on heroin. Yeah, big cocaine in Little China. Uh, <laughs> little, little cocaine in Big China, I guess. Well, we're Dude, gonna, layers of cocaine. Yeah. Mountain. <laughs> well, so and, and we've talked about a lot of different things in this episode, and you know, and I think it's all very interesting, all very worthy, and I, I think that. Uh, there's a lot of movies that are sort of being re-examined with a modern context and modern sensibilities and then kind of cut both ways. And I think in this case, for my taste anyway, I think a lot of that is sort of misapplied. Uh, again, some of that's not really my place to say, but how I feel is that this is a really... I'm sorry they keep movie. looking at ethnic pictures and, and, and you know... <laughs> Look, if, you're, if you're into Oriental movies, then... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but I think this movie holds up. I, I mean, I know it holds up because I watch it all the time. I've I've seen this movie. I've lost count how many times I've seen this film. Well, we're we're in a, we're kind of in a postmodern era, I think. Um, now, and I think but but movie. I think but but if I, but if I may, I, I think that like one of the reasons why it holds up is it's fun. It's a fun yeah. movie. It, it's yeah. it's a madcap adventure tale it is and a lot. very pure one at that. Like I think it has just as much in common with like the Goonies or something as it does with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It reminds me a bit of uh, like uh, this is going to sound really weird. It's like Will Smith and the Wu Tang Clan. Um, it's, what? It's like, 
Oh, just gonna sound really weird. Like, like, right. You're, you're right. That sounds very weird because that is a weird thing to say. So Wu Tang's yeah, always like you know talking. Is this the whole uh, but but like, like, thing all no. over again? <laughs> yeah, Will Smith is Philadelphia. Wu Tang clan of Staten Will, Island. Will Smith is um like like. Can't wait to see what you do with this. By the way, can't wait to see. Made a rap about freaking Freddy Krueger. Like like you know he just sat there and like. And the whole rap is just like, we went to see this really cool movie and I want to tell you about it. And yeah. that's like what John Carpenter did with this movie, except he did it in the style of Wu-Tang Clan. Wow. And that's the mysteries of that's the and that is a mystery of checks boxing. Oh, by the okay, way, so catch us uh, back here next week. No, <laughs> speaking of uh, real quick, speaking of also of like the same, uh, one of the other things I actually I learned about from uh, actually listening to the Blank Check podcast talking about how uh, because they're, enough, they're, are, they, are they paying you? Come on, enough. Uh, yeah, no, 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 I mean, hey, hey, I'm a, a, a movie guy extravaganza. Yeah, well, yeah. you heard of that show? No, I haven't. What's it called? What's it about? Oh, no, great. Apparently, uh, <laughs> because the thing bombed, so uh, Carpenter lost because he, he was apparently he was lined up to uh, to direct Firestarter, and he Whoa. kind of. Um, be, but because uh, uh, the thing kind of bombed, they kind of pulled him off of that, and they put on. I put on the. They, I don't even remember who they. Who put, they put directed on, that? I don't even remember. I don't even remember. All you remember is that it's, well, Firestarter is worth watching just because it's very weird to see George. See Scott in a ponytail and an eye patch, and I'm um, with the Sokies. Yeah, and a um, in in, in the same Mark film, L. Lester directed it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, let's see. That can't just, possibly be yeah. a real name. The, a real but, yeah, it's, it's one of the things we realizing that '80s '80s Stephen King films were a trip because you had not only did you have John Carpenter do a Stephen King film, you have David Cronenberg did a Stephen King film and did one of the best oh that's right i forgot about that that is a good yeah one. yeah, yeah. Well, you also, i mean you also had you also had the shining you know you yeah had you, Kubrick, yeah, Kubrick in 1980 the fog in like what 82 83 and dead zone in like 82 83 and it's like kind of like yeah it's like i, the, I remember uh, when stephen king directed his his own film right i remember which is folks, maximum overdrive remember which folks is, when stephen king maximum cocaine <laughs> Yeah, which is if you do, and also, and don't we love uh, it, folks? We love yeah, Stephen. We King. love it. We love Stephen King. We love. Blockers <laughs> is such a great film. Incestuous <laughs> well, cast people. I will say, well, yeah, not just well. Not only is uh, Maximum Overdrive the film that has both uh, uh, Emilio Estevez, son of Greg Stilson, the Senate, the president, oh, sure. the yeah. senatorial Archie. presidential candidate from uh, from Dead Zone, but also who plays a diner waitress in that film. Nothing but uh, nobody else but Lisa Simpson. Also, that is uh, the. Um, that's right. I forgot about that. And and uh, and. Did, isn't there an eat my shorts worked in? There's a lot of really fucked up dialogue in Maximum Overdrive, by the yeah. way. Well, they're, 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 apparently the, the the rumor is is that he, uh, when Stephen King showed the film to George Romero, the scene w in, in, on the little on the on the baseball diamond when the like evil uh, you know lawnmower pulling like a a, 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 a the the field matter you know takes out the kid like apparently like George Romero lost it at that scene. Yeah, he was like that's yeah. too much. Like when you lost yeah. George Romero, you've gone too far. Which so, which does sound which in retrospect does sound like bullshit, but you know. You the know, director of Firestarter also did Commando. Oh, sure, Commando, awesome. <laughs> so, objectively not really a great movie, but I'll watch it every time it's on. Oh, you, gotta, way, you, you guys ever follow adaptation I did. Do you guys ever follow uh George Romero's um Walking Dead like continually like shitting on Walking Dead thing? No. So what did he do? Oh, like, so throughout the last, or what? 
throughout the last few years of his life, they would just keep asking about Walking Dead. And he fucking hated Walking Dead. And he's like, a zombie soap opera. A zombie soap opera. That's what they're doing. So there were just there was this like before he before he passed away, there was this like deluge, which he's right about. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Well, I don't I don't think he's right about when it comes to like Robert Kirkman's comic and whenever yeah. they actually like touch Robert Kirkman's comic, I think it has a lot to say. But the, like the show, whenever the show goes off on its own, he was right about that. But it was kind it's of jumped funny the shark watch. at least four times, but and it's gone yeah. on at least five too many seasons. But yeah, the yeah, so I, first season is pretty unfuckable. Though. So I don't so I don't have cable anymore. So I finally went to um, when I was at my grandma's in Long Island, like uh, like applying for this um, pup the other day. I finally checked in on Walking Dead because I used to watch it like pretty religiously, and I was like, this sucks. This really yeah, and I've watched and I read every I read every single. Um, issue of the of the comics like yeah, i really fucking enjoyed the comics and i have like, never read never read a single issue of the comic but i have played the i've only played the telltale games yeah no the comics are absolutely worth the checking comics out are really um, great. and i don't know why i have a thing for uh fear the walking dead i've really enjoyed that show uh they, they've had like a bunch of jump the shark moments uh I, season three season three was the best um zombie like I, I thought season three was a hundred percent on point of, of Fear the Walking Dead, the like yeah. white nationalist season. No, and, and the the season where they uh, were in that valley with the nuclear power plant, um, just that first half of the season, uh, where where they had that whole storyline. Because the second half sucked, but but like that first half of the season yeah. was like some some of the best. Uh, I think actually suppress season three, but because uh, if you look at the whole season, and I think it's like season five in totality, like it just fell apart. But, yeah, but, I think, I think after know, that, I think after the second half of the season is when I stopped watching. Yeah, I, the, season two season with, the, with the Pirates is really fucking good too. Uh, the past season wasn't bad. Um, that, that was actually I, kind I of, didn't end up. I, I I don't have cable anymore, so I yeah, would, it's not know. great. Um, it's on Hulu if you have that. All right. Um, but yeah. Um, I I I like I like I liked Fear the Walking Dead at first. I you know I I think that all, all of those shows kind of jumped the shark because they kept um changing directors and then after. Uh, season three of Fear the Walking Dead, they replaced um, they replaced the the original. I forget. I think his name's like Dave Garrison, something like that. Is it? He had like a um, no Dave Erickson. That was his name. Dave Erickson, and they replaced him with these two really young showrunners that um, that kind of kept like referencing movies within Fear the Walking Dead. I was like, I don't know. Like they went on they went on Talking Dead, and they were like, oh, like we we want to we really want to reference Wizard of Oz here. And I was like, don't don't do that. Don't stop. Stop trying to reference Wizard of Oz within a, a, a zombie show. Just show me some zombies. Like, when, yeah. that's everything fucks up when they get away from the zombies. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, we'll they have to bring the walkers back. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, like the, the, the past couple seasons have all been about nuclear peril, and and it's um, I don't think it's it's like a really interesting idea, but that they don't quite execute it very well. It would be really funny to watch. Uh, Lee Phillips, like, make Lee Phillips watch the like all of that, and then bring him on <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> all right that's cool uh, okay we're at we're at 105 minutes so yeah you know uh, you know what i like better than either of those shows is big trouble in little china the movie that we're actually yeah. discussing <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 distracted um by that so i i had an interesting idea to, to close this out um instead of asking for final thoughts i think i'm gonna ask every like each of you guys to um what your favorite quote is from big trouble in little china because i feel like that's the, the strong suit was like a lot of like funny um action quotes that yeah, very, no. very punchy, deliberately Howard Hawks like dialogue. Yeah. So I so, can go first if yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So, so I, because what I really want is I want to talk about one of my favorite scenes, which is the, the David Lopan death scene, 
where there's this big buildup that, okay, Jack's got the knife and like, like, oh yeah, get him. And then he throws the knife, misses. Like, that's like the big action movie hit. He totally blows it. And Kim Cattrall just gives him this look like, oh, you asshole. Literally rolls her <laughs> eyes. Yeah. yeah. And then like, and David LePan like, you know, he picks up the, picks up a knife. Like, oh, nice knife. No, good yeah, construction. It's a good you knife. Know. Good night, Mr. He, Bolton. And, and, he, and he does like a little like riff on that. And then he throws a knife at Jack, who catches it immediately, throws it back and hits Lopan straight in the forehead. And that's one of my favorite scenes in all of Action Dumb because it- All in the reflexes. Thank you for stealing the line. But yes, that's exactly, <laughs> that's why that's my favorite line from this film because like, and I mean, it's, it's referenced other places, but like, that is, as far as dispatching a villain, when you're talking about, like, yeah, this is, like, a big adventure action movie, but it kind of subverts that genre in a lot of different ways as well. Perfect. That is so perfect. Because it's, like, just self-aware enough, again, you get the reaction of when he blows it. He clearly blows it. There's no, like, oh, I almost know you blew it. And then yeah. then he gets it, but it's almost completely by accident. And, like, yeah. he's still and, and ready think, with the line think, because he was always ready being, with the line. I think it being an accident kind of is the, is the kind of the point of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, and it's, it hits in that perfect way because of it. I just love it so much. I, lo- I use that. I actually, I, I use that line in real life way too much probably. <laughs> All right, Andy. Um, I'm always going to my cats like this, and, and <laughs> uh, they they never know what to do whenever I'm doing that to my cats. Um, I don't even know if my tendons can do that. My uh, I got so much tendonitis in the back of my yeah. So since you you you're broken just a little bit on mine, Andrew, I'm just gonna say that my old band Replicator, which the my the drummer, uh, my very good friend Chris Bullock, just passed away two weeks ago. We oh, used to do that at live shows, like just to like as a check in while we were playing. We'd be like. Huh. And we would like do that to each other because it was like a good way to like, just do like a, like a visual check. Hey, everything. Okay. Over there. Yeah. Everything's okay. And like, I, until you said that, I didn't remember that. So thank you. That's a nice. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> but, but, but my favorite line is just always, you know, in and out like the wind, um, you know, cause, cause it was first said, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Walk in there in and out like the wind. And then like later on, you know, Jack Burton's like, you know, we're going to walk in there in and out like the wind, you know. The, the I, I also I also really like the um, no, I like the part where uh, Wayne goes, you thought we were just going to walk in and, in and out there like the wind. And he's like, and he's like, you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, that would hit totally differently in a movie now. Right? Yeah. But like, but like. I, I, yeah, I love how all that hits. I, I, that's a great would that hit totally differently in a movie now? I don't know. It, it kind of. It, I think that would be more of a focus instead of like just a quick like pop, and then it when you, and, and like it's it's there for the people that are paying attention. I think yeah. it would be like that would be like the big oh we're gonna yeah. do this now. It's like, it's like whenever you watch um you know uh was that show um uh God I can't, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. No, no, no. There was a there was a, a blind side, a blind spot, or blind side, or whatever. It's about this woman with tattoos, and um, it, it started off like the first season was kind of interesting, but not really. And then um, the show like got really dumbed down. So like, if something happened like really quick that you'd catch easily, um, then they would uh, like in a payoff at the end, they would then like reshoot the shows the scene, and it was just like it was the most painful thing about that show. And, and I just feel like, like, yeah, there's a lot of lines where, where um, I, I know exactly what you're referring to. Like, yeah. They, they with, with like, yeah. Like, Hey things. everybody, we're doing the line now. Check it out. The line's coming. You know, and, and, like, and it's, it was just great. Cause it's just, you know, just, just offhand, you know, uh, 
you know, as how yeah. it just kept coming back. And, and I don't think I noticed like, the part the, the the part where they like reference it. I don't think I noticed like the third or fourth time I saw the movie. I was like, oh, that's funny because he said the thing. Like, I also I also really like that um that they're hit like uh Jack and Wang are going in somewhere and he's like um he says this thing about like oh the cops are interested in not getting killed or something and then Jack later on they're like are you gonna call the cops and he's like oh the cops don't want to get killed you know what I mean like so that line gets replicated too. Yeah. yeah, they both. Well, they both. Have, yeah, th- there's a lot of like setup, setup, and payoff in this, and which is great. Yeah. Um. Oh, real quick, but yeah, the the series you're talking about is Blind Spot, and the only thing I remember that is because, uh, it's done by uh Jamie Alexander, who plays uh Sif, in all the Marvel films, huh? and who may, who is uh, more than a little attractive. Um. My. <laughs> My, uh, I guess my my favorite like line slash interaction for the progressiveness of it and the timing is when after they have finished, uh, they finish, um, pr- you know, having a drink and low pa- low pans basement bar, and they're like r- r- walking oh, around yeah. and like tapping, they like tap on the door. He's you know it's like, you know, taps on it, you know, tap tap tap, you know, hollow, yeah. Fuck it, and he just cuts his, you know, he just cuts his way through, and it's just something that I just, I love, I, I just, I love that scene so much. I think it's like the only, I think it's the only f bomb they drop in the, might have been the only f bomb they drop in the film, and it's perfect. Um, yeah, that's just that is my favorite interaction. Well, among many, many, many other uh, memorable lines, this, I mean, this, the, like I said, the, the, the this is. This is one of those films, much like Army of Darkness, where it really did set up a kind of like, um, you know, endlessly quotable dialogue that like video games for a good 20 years, you know, it's like it's one of the, you know, like Duke Nukem or any of those other characters would not exist were not for the kind of like, you know, randomly tossed off lines of dialogue. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I also really like in that same scene. um uh you know they, they take the potion and then like the next scene they're in the elevator as someone that's gone to like a bunch of raves like i like i really i really yeah, do great. I got, <laughs> but um i so my my favorite and they're all kind is, of having that experience and, and then referencing andrew they the you know the the guys they uh they, they do they, they yell at each other yeah they do the, yeah yeah Six, you know. <laughs> um so my favorite my favorite set of lines and i decided this today um when i was watching it earlier it's really funny after they get out of uh, the whole, like the low pan building or whatever, um, and they're walking out and, um, and, and egg is underneath, uh, you know, Kurt Russell's like, like Jack's holding the umbrella and he's underneath the umbrella. And first uh, Wang says, a brave man likes the feeling of nature on his face, Jack. And then egg says, yes. And the wise man has enough sense to get out of the rain because I like that. They're just like dueling, like fake Chinese proverbs. Yeah. <laughs> And they kind of remind me of a video game too, because you know you have like NPCs running at you and just like saying some random shit, like random villagers or something, and like a lot of different games just run up to you and just say some like nonsensical shit. And it's pretty fucking hilarious that like he had not one but like two people that said um like dueling, like just dueling proverbs that are, are definitely just things that John Carpenter made up. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, I also love that just as as a bonus, the what more can a guy ask for? A six demon bag. You know, that's, that's a good one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Lifeblood of the earth. No, I mean, like, lifeblood oh, of the earth. Good point. A six demon bag probably is going to come in kind of handy. You know, right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to um, end this with, with a, a, because we did bad Trump impressions. Good um, old, uh, good so old James Austin Johnson. Yeah. So Support I'm going to end this with this Johnson, folks, if you, if you don't yet. 
Yeah, no, Jalen's just is amazing, but this is his uh Trump Trump complaining about playing Pokemon and um needing to beat the Elite Four. So I'm gonna um end end this with this. Thanks for coming on though. I this was a fun episode. And yeah. um I definitely want to have both of you guys on in October. We have to talk about this and I'm down for suggestions, but we're gonna do all horror movies in October. I've decided well, we've decided, Andy and I both. So um let's talk about that. But here is you beat the Elite Four, uh Trump Pokemon game. Go see Malignant, folks. What a great night. What a really great night that we ended up having. Just better than anybody could have ever suspected, and no one believed that I could do it. And here we are. We, we As far as I'm concerned, I won, okay? We reached the Elite Four. We beat the Elite Four, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of the game. But there are people in this country who are going to tell you that you have not beaten the game until you have caught them all. Until you have caught them all. And it's what it's a terrible deal. It's a really bad deal. It is very bad. You are disenfranchising a lot of people when you tell them that they have that they have not finished the game until they've caught them all, because frankly, there are too many Pokemon left. To be acquired by trading. As far as I'm concerned, if, if your Pokemon is required is acquired by trading and it's not caught in the original game, it's not a real Pokemon, okay? And by the way, when they keep moving the goalpost, it used to be 151. And that was fine with everybody. They said 151 is alright with me. Like, of course, it should end with Mew. It should end with Mewtwo, and then it ends with Mew. It's like you're not even allowed to finish the game with with Mew too, and I'm in Vinny, you gotta go get Mew. Oh, sir, you've gotta drive to a target parking lot or something and wait for a big bus from Nintendo with all these fake Pokemon on it. They're not even in the game unless you glitch, okay? And we don't want glitches, okay? We're not people who do glitches. We like playing the vanilla, playing the game, okay? We want to actually play it. And then they do gold, silver, crystal. Sir, you've got a, a hundred more Pokemon you have to catch. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? Pikachu has a baby now. We didn't like it. We thought that was, t- frankly, if you are adding in babies where there weren't babies before, that is not real, okay? That is not the, the original system that we had, that the Valley Fathers had envisioned. 